Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we are joined by Diane Hewlett-Lowry, a resource interpretive specialist for the New Jersey State Park Service. If you have been to any state or even national park, you may have noticed park employees eagerly awaiting the opportunity to share their extensive knowledge on the history and ecology of the area. As a resource interpretive specialist and naturalist, Diane is one of those people, someone who recognizes the importance of our natural and historic resources and uses her knowledge to tell New Jersey's great story. Diane, thanks so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Diane, tell us a little bit about exactly what you do here at DEP, your experience, how long you've been here, and uh, what drew you to the job of being an interpretive specialist? Well, I started with DEP at Liberty State Park. I was a naturalist there, and we did environmental education programs, and we took kids out to somewhere called Caven Point, where there's Mm -hmm. a sandy beach, and they would don waders and go into the Hudson River and seine for fish, and we'd teach the kids about the estuary and the river and the fish and everything that made it important. So I love being outdoors. I love environmental education, and I loved showing even in an inner city or a city environment like that, there's still amazing treasures to be found. So that's what drew me to this kind of job. How long ago was that? <laughs> that you were at Liberty State Park? I started at Liberty State Park in December of 1996. Great. Yes. Great. And uh, where, where did you go after that? After Liberty State Park, I was uh, there for about five years. I was fortunate to get a promotion. And the next level up in my title was in a regional office. was at Monmouth Battlefield State Park. And while I was there, I not only helped uh, with the natural resources education side of thing, I also helped with the historical resources education and interpretation. I helped do exhibits for the Barnegat Lighthouse Visitor Center. More recently, I worked with a lot of staff, including the historian at Monmouth Battlefield State Park, working to create the new visitor center to tell the story, a little bit about the revolution, a lot about the Battle of Monmouth, a little bit about after the Battle of Monmouth, but there's a range of exhibits there that help to tell that story. And I actually think that's what my job is, is to tell the story, to tell the story of the history, to tell the story of nature, to tell the story of our world, to try to help people connect to either the history or the ecology. You have had a very varied career then, all sorts of uh, interesting things to do. That's great. I think it's great, yes. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about a resource interpretive specialist uh, job in our state parks. What, what's kind of the average day for somebody who does that work? Ah, the, I think, um, I don't know if there is such thing as an average day, but there's a wide range of possibilities. There are 11 permanent naturalists in the state, and they could be leading hikes, they could be giving programs to school children, they could be helping Girl Scout get a gold award by creating pollinator habitat. 
They could be working on maybe outdoor exhibits like interpretive waysides that you see. So there's a wide range of possibilities of what people can be doing. They could be helping to organize uh, public events, organize public programs. Um, so they do stewardship, environmental education, recreation, ecotourism, communications, a very wide range of activities. And I think the education part is particularly interesting because everybody or pretty much everybody loves to go out into the outdoors and see the beauty of nature and just enjoy, enjoy the peace and the solitude of being outside away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. But we don't always know what's going on there and, and why there are certain plants or animals in certain places and all those sorts of things. So I think adding the educational component not only helps us kind of understand what's going on, but I think gives us a deeper appreciation for just how valuable our natural environment is here in the state. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that's one of the parts of my jobs that I loved when I was out in the field most. I think that's one of the parts of the job that people were out in the field. That's why they love it. Because People want to know, they want to know why it's important. Sometimes you can look at something and you can see why it's important, but sometimes it's the unseen, it's what's under the rock, it's what's beneath the mud, it's what's in the water. It's all connected and through staining programs and pond dipping programs, we can reach into those environments, we can study what's there and we can help people connect to the environment. We're all connected in some way. At Liberty we used to teach about the tuna fish sandwich and the tuna was in the ocean and it ate a fish that was maybe um, was in this estuary and that it was eaten by you know it's the whole all connected all the way back to the detritus and the mud. <laughs> so it's nice it's main part of our job is to connect people to the resources and to make sure that it's relevant to their lives. Otherwise, they might not care about it so much. So if they care about it, hopefully the next step is to help look after it. How do you find people respond to this information that, that you give them? Do you get a lot of questions and kind of what are some of the questions you get when you're out, say, on a nature hike? Mm. I haven't actually done nature hikes myself for quite a long time, mm. but the nicest thing or the, the thing that stood out most to me was once when I took a group of young children, five, six-year-olds, onto Caven Point Beach in Jersey City, and you just step out there onto a sandy beach and you can see the river in front of you, there's grasses behind you, and this child looked to me and said is this nature and that was just <laughs> great because you knew that she got it and she hadn't really experienced it before so those are great I used to work up at the New Jersey School of Conservation and programs we had kids from all over would come up there and it was amazing because we'd get kids who lived in the cities would come up to Stoke State Forest and would be a little afraid at night because of no street lights and it's just a different world because some of us feel safer in the forest and these kids we had to help them feel safer in the forest so it's a wide range of responses mm. now i understand you do quite a bit of work with the trails in our state parks tell us a little bit about that way back i thought it would be a good idea to start gpsing our trails because we didn't really have a good record of how many we had or how many miles of trails we had so I set about trying to answer that and that was about 10 years ago <laughs> and we have over a thousand miles of official trails in the state park service system so with that GPS data we were also looking to do some kind of app which would work like the GPS in your car that you would show up as the blue dot you'd see the trail beneath you and you would be able to navigate 
the trails using an app on your phone and that was launched six months ago it's called the trail tracker mm. so we're delighted with that parallel to that we've also been making a lot more trails maps for people if you don't have a signal if you lose a signal if you don't have a phone if you don't have a smartphone if you don't want an app you can take a map and so we've been working really hard to create what i think looks like state-of-the-art maps to be included on those brochures where the trails really pop out at you and really enjoyed working with that and creating those maps over the past uh, two or three years. So what sort of information is available on a map? Does it kind of tell you how long a trail is and what the terrain is, that sort of thing? Absolutely. The trails brochures that we are creating on one side is the map and on the other side is a short narrative about the trail if you pick up a trail map from say a lair state park you'll see the park you'll see the trails on it the color on the map is the color that the trail is blazed the map underneath will tell you how long the trail so the blaze is or the markings the blade the color them. yeah the yeah. color markings and um, sometimes are stickers on posts sometimes are painted on trees but the color matches the map and then on the other side every single trail there's a narrative it'll tell you the color the length the use, whether you can hike only or if you can hike and mountain bike or hike, mountain bike and horseback ride. And it will give you a short description of what kind of habitat the trail takes you through and how difficult it is. And are there along the trails, are there any interpretive signs uh, on some of these trails in some of our parks? Yes, there are trails that we are calling interpretive trails. And it's actually one of my next projects. There's a lot of different interpretive trails, like up at Stoke State Forest, there is the geology trail and it has its own brochure because it has numbered posts along the way. Mm. So the numbered posts correspond to a brochure that you take with you. We've got a bunch of those trails all over the state. They've all developed individually so they're they're not uh they don't have a lot in common you know what i mean they're not necessarily uniform yeah they're not uniform so it's part actually we've applied for a trails grant to be able to really work on those trails to make sure they're all uniform to make sure that the information is clear and very user-friendly so that's one of my next projects I just said we have a thousand miles of trails. Do you have a particular favorite among all the trails in our state parks? Oh, I do think I do because I love the trail that goes, it's Tinsley Trail. It goes from a road near the New Jersey School of Conservation to the top of Sunrise Mountain. So and what park is that in? That's in Stoke State Forest. It hooks, it links up with the Appalachian Trail. Mm. So you take that trail up, you can go a loop around the geology trail, you can keep going and then you can get onto the Appalachian Trail and then up to the top of Sunrise Mountain, which is the second highest mountain in New Jersey. Oh, it must give you quite a view from there. It's amazing, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, especially on a nice day. Yeah, it's spectacular. Yeah. Are there any projects coming ahead or in the future that you're hoping to work on? You mentioned making the trail guides more uniform. Other things that are kind of in the pipeline that you're working on? We had a meeting recently and we were talking about, all talking about goals for the future and, and going forward and what do you want to do. And I really want to investigate further health and wellness and being outside and the connection and probably try to create some programs that will encourage people to get outside. One of the ones that we have been doing for the past five years is the first day hikes. And it is just encouraging people to start the start the year off right on the right foot <laughs> and get out on the trails and whether you do a one mile stroll or a 15 mile hike 
or anything in between is start the year off right, get outside and get a little bit of exercise. But there's more than that. There's, there are, Kittatinny Valley State Park actually offers yoga outdoors and Forest bathing is an ancient practice, but it does have health benefits that have been proven and including mindfulness and being present in the moment. A lot of times we are distracted by technology and we're not present in the moment and we don't really understand what that's doing to us health-wise, especially developing brains and teenagers. So I want to delve a little deeper into offering more core classes like that or hikes or challenges like in Scotland, there's something called the Daily Miles. So the school started it, that every child in the school would go outside for 15 minutes on the trail. They would run, hop, jump, skip, walk, whatever they did, but they did a mile a day. And it has expanded beyond schools and it's expanded into everybody's into daily lives of people and I was thinking if we could that's a challenge that we could do like challenge yourself to go out for a mile then double your mile and I was just thinking along those lines like there are ways and incentives to get people to go outdoors and to go into the parks and to enjoy the parks and it does benefit them health-wise. Make an important point here that had not really occurred to me before you know often when I would go hiking my focus is to get to the point where I'm going, you know? So I'm like, how fast can I get there? And not really taking enough time to uh, stop and smell the roses, if you will. You're so, you're so focused on the goal mm-hmm. that you kind of miss what you're seeing going along if you're mm-hmm. not careful. Mm-hmm. You need to be mindful of that. Yeah, maybe sometimes. <clears throat> I used to take hikes at Stoke State Forest when I worked there, and uh, we'd have a class of 15 children, and they were noisy, and they were in the forest. But I would have them spread out and stop and just be quiet for and I think I would time it as two or three minutes of absolute silence they couldn't see anybody else but we knew everybody knew where everybody else was so they were safe but just that experience of being quiet not being in touch with people not being in touch with technology just being in touch with where you are and yourself they said it was a different something they hadn't experienced before and they would want to do it again. So yeah, I hate to use a technological term to describe it, but it's almost like hitting the reset button on your brain. It's possible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yep. Now how did you get interested in the great outdoors? I, I detect a bit of an accent here, which I don't <laughs> think I can peg to any particular part of New Jersey. So when you mentioned Scotland before, mm-hmm. you, you from Scotland. Absolutely, yeah, I am from Spent Scotland. Spent a lot of time outdoors over there. Yes, we went hiking and uh, camping a lot in Scotland. And uh, we learned not to let the rain stop us from going outside. <laughs> <laughs> you hardly ever get out if that was the case. Exactly. When, yeah. I, when I first came to America, on a sunny day, I'd be like, oh, it's sunny, I've got to go out. Oh, <laughs> it's sunny, I've got to go out. You know, there would be days on end of sun. It was unusual. Mm. So what sort of uh, background do you need to become an interpretive specialist, what, educationally and that sort of thing? Well, my, my background, undergraduate, is biology. And a lot of people, that, and I have a, I went to Montclair mm-hmm. for a master's in environmental studies and environmental education. So environmental education is great. I think the natural resource interpretive specialists who are in the parks have very biological or environmental or ecological backgrounds, but they also have teaching skills and people skills. And I think that's very important because you are an interpreter and what you're doing is you're 
understanding the science and the ecology of what's going on and you're interpreting it so that everybody understands the science of what's going on. So everything from science, communications, PR, those are the kind of skills that you need, but most of us have background in science. Now, I understand you're working now mostly in Trenton. So what are you doing now here at DEP? Um, I'm right now in Trenton. I'm focused on managing trails grants that the State Park Service have. Uh, We've applied for trails grants over the years and there are a lot of projects going on from Cape May to High Point and I'm trying to help everybody accomplish their goals and also taking a good look at what projects are coming up, what's the essential projects coming up in the future so that we can prepare grant proposals to get some more money to support the parks. I understand the Park Service has done quite a bit to try and help monarch butterflies, which are such magnificent creatures and have been under assault, really, from loss of food source, habitat, and other stressors. Tell us a little bit about what the Park Service has done to make life easier for monarch butterflies here in New Jersey. It's fantastic that parks from High Point down to Cape May Point have increased the acreage and the plantings to benefit all pollinators, but focusing on monarch butterflies. We've had a joint program with New Jersey Fish and Wildlife and the Forest Resource Education Centre to propagate milkweed seeds. And we've been, for the past couple of years, distributing them to parks. In some of the parks, they are creating monarch way stations and that specifically plants that benefit monarchs both in the larval stage and when they're adults. And then also some parks have just had no mow areas so they can increase the wildflowers growing there and they don't mow everything to be lawn. They've increased some pollinator foods by leaving the wildflowers and some parks have actively planted plugs of milkweed to create to create the plant that the monarch depends upon solely for laying its eggs. And for those of our listeners who are interested in doing their own part to help the monarchs, last year DEP published an excellent guide on how to assist monarch butterflies and increase their survivability here in New Jersey. So we have a link to that guide on the description of this podcast as well. Now, Diane, we've talked a lot about hiking on the ground. Are there opportunities for people who like to be on the water in our state parks? Oh, absolutely. There are a number of our state parks that have canoe liveries, we call them, where you can rent canoes and go out on the water. And then there are also parks where the resource interpretive specialists offer programs like at Cheesequake State Park, there's a kayaking ecotours, also at Liberty State Park. Recently, we are getting a lot of interest in paddle boarding. So we have a couple of parks in the north that have paddle boards that you can hire and go out and enjoy the water on a paddle board. So there's something for everybody. I think so, yes. If you wanted to leave with all of our listeners kind of one thought about our state parks and trails and getting outside, what would that be, Diane? New Jersey is amazing. There are so many natural treasures and historic treasures out there so many beautiful places so many opportunities to get away from it all and just enjoy being in nature i think that's what i would like people to know and to understand if you want to find a program near you go to the website and we have that website on the description of the podcast fabulous and sign up also for emails about future programs and events that are coming up Well, that's great. And I think your last point is a very important one. Although we are one of the smallest states in the Union and the most densely populated state in the Union, we still have 
about 40% of the state is still in a natural state. And uh, we have such a wide variety of geography and, and uh, environments here, all the way from the coastal plain, all the way up to the high point and everything in between. We have our own version of the highlands here in New Jersey, <laughs> as you do in Scotland. A little bit different, I suppose. And we call our lakes lakes, not locks. But uh, there is a, an amazing variety all within really a short drive that people can see different environments uh, and, get, and get out there and enjoy all the natural wonders of our state. And the work that you and your colleagues of the State Park Service have done to help us uh, have access to nature, to understand it better, and to uh, grow in our appreciation for it has been really important. And that importance is reflected in the fact that every single bond issue since like 1960 to preserve open space always passes with a, a healthy majority. And that's because in no small measure to the work that you and your colleagues do to help raise knowledge and appreciation for our natural spaces and places here in the state of New Jersey. So, Diane, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank okay. you for inviting me. Well, we appreciate your taking time. I know you'd much rather be outside, but it's kind of cold today, so maybe it's not so bad to be in. But thanks again so much. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.